We are here to spread the radical notion that you're perfectly imperfect, just the way you are. Welcome to the Way You Are Project podcast. I'm your host, Erica Ormanovich. Join me as we have conversations about feminism, fat acceptance, body image, and parenting, with a goal to help you cultivate and live a more authentic life. Welcome back to The Way You Are Project. This is episode three, and today I spoke with Julie Duffy Dillon. She's a registered dietitian, eating disorder specialist, and food peace promoter. She's also the host of the Love Food Podcast. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you guys today because it's the first one so far where I get to talk about something that I was really excited to talk about on the show, and that's motherhood. And I hope to have more conversations about that topic in the future, but we talk about feminism and parenting as well as raising our children to be fat positive in a fat phobic culture. We also talk a lot about eating disorders and her take on full recovery, which is something that I've been asked about and I've even talked a little bit about in the past on the show. Julie has helped me personally with my journey and has been a voice of support since day one. So for me to be able to connect with her was so valuable and I hope many of you find value in it as well. One last thing before we get to that. Just a reminder to please share this podcast with someone you think could benefit from our message and leave a rating and review on iTunes. It takes just a moment, but it really helps us be more visible in our already small niche, and I appreciate anyone that can take some time out to do either of those things. I won't keep you waiting any longer, so let's hear what Julie had to say. You're perfect. Just the way you are. Mm-hmm. Hey, Erica. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be able to talk to you. So for my listeners that might not be familiar with you or your work, could you give us a brief background on yourself and maybe your journey and a little bit about the work you do now? I would love to. So I am a fat positive dietitian and I'm an eating disorder specialist. I also have a master's degree in mental health counseling. So um, in a nutshell, I help people um, as they're making the journey towards food peace, I kind of see myself as their partner on that journey. And um, I work with people who are experiencing eating disorders in any way, shape, or form. Or I also work with people who feel like maybe they never experienced an eating disorder, but this toxic world that's full of like disordered eating and body hate as this like normal thing, um, if they're just wanting someone to help them stay connected to their own innate wisdom. I'm their dietitian. <laughs> and um, I haven't always referred to myself in this way, especially as a fat positive dietitian. That's not something that I always would would have called myself. But, um, you know, I started out my career in a really typical dietitian way, you know, working with helping people to lose weight. And um, it's a really normal first job for we dietitians. And after a few years, I realized that um, kind of this big duh thing, like diets don't work. Like, I feel like we hear that, but like, um, we still do them, you know, we still Mm -hmm. encourage them as dietitians. And so, um, after a few people that, um, were especially, uh, that especially pulled on my heartstrings, I think to help me kind of to see the light that I was contributing to harm. Um, I really wanted to, find out exactly what was going on. And it led me to things like intuitive eating and health at every size approaches. Um, and it also led me to the master's degree in mental health counseling. So I was like, wow, my training as a dietitian, although really great and encompassed a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know, you're in school for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still wasn't prepared to help with 
um, family dynamics and stress management. And, and so that, that further enhanced that. And, um, so along the way I had some really cool kind of lucky things happen where, um, I was able to open up a practice in my small town because no one else had a private practice specializing in eating disorders. And I got to really get myself immersed in it. And I made a ton of mistakes before really anybody knew who I was, which was great. (laughs) I feel like we all do that. And I found some people to help supervise me to, to help me get better at it. And, um, in this little tiny small town, I, also, um, found myself specializing in something called polycystic ovarian syndrome and eating disorders. So there's this reality show that, um, is filmed in my, my small town in the South. And, um, the woman that is like the, the basis of the reality show happens to be in recovery for an eating disorder and have this PCOS. And so they called me to be a part of it. And I was like, well, okay, here's my chance to be on reality TV. I'm 42. This is never going to happen again. So I might as well take advantage of it. And so that, um, that show was my big, fat, fabulous life. And, um, it was a really fun opportunity and it also just, you know, opened up some really cool opportunities for me. And, um, one of those things was, um, the podcast love food that I have that, um, I hope further enhances people's relationship with food between sessions with their dietitian or therapist. And, um, I really, um, in this place where I feel like we, we need to help folks to reconnect to their own wisdom. And each of us, we're our own experts of our body. And, um, as a dietitian, I can't tell you exactly what to eat and not eat. Like to me, it almost seems silly now because I'm not in your body with you. So, but I can, kind of be your guide and, and help you to reconnect to that. And that's where I see my role now. I love that you said that you see yourself as a guide because I feel like after coming out of like diet culture and going into intuitive eating, like all you want is someone to tell you what to eat. Like you're so used to that, you know, you're like, I want to intuitively eat, but I want someone just to tell me how to do it. And then when you have encouraging people telling you like, no, actually you already know how to eat and I'm here to support you, but you're going to figure it out and figure out what's best for your body. (laughs) Yeah. We have some like, um, pointers we could probably give you, Mm -hmm. but really they're not, they're not meant to be limiting or absolute. We can kind of just throw some pointers out there and and then support you because as you, you know, as you get to know more people along the journey, you know, something that I've recognized is that there's really common, um, places along the journey where people will feel like they're slipping or fall down. And, and there's some, some things that people have done to kind of help themselves to continue to move in the direction that they need for recovery. And I feel like that's where my job is, is to like help with that stuff. Yeah. I love that. Cause we, we all kind of have the answers inside us. We just got to figure mm-hmm. out how to find them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know you said you worked with eating, you work with eating disorders. Um, I had someone ask me recently about, uh, full recovery and about like full recovery versus transferring of addictions. And I talk about recovery from an eating disorder now as if it's like, um, a little bit more of a destination than it was ever like how I had ever perceived it before in the past. Like, I feel like eating disorder recovery before was kind of seen as this like continuum of like, you're always going to be struggling to some degree. Um, and the more I've gotten into this, um, kind of health at every size, uh, and body positive world, I feel like I've learned that, um, full recovery is a thing. And so I wanted your opinion on that. 
Yeah, I I believe full recovery is a thing too. And I didn't always believe that. But again, I feel like people have shown me the light (laughs) over the years. And this is something that in my office, when I work with clients individually, it's something that comes up very frequently. And I have a quote, um, like right when you're asking that, I pull this card I have because I always pull it out when clients ask me about this. And it's a quote from Carolyn Costin. And I feel like Carolyn Costin, you know, she's a therapist that specializes in eating disorders mm-hmm. out of California. And um, she's the first person I ever heard say that she's recovered, you know, like not not in recovery, like she's recovered mm-hmm. from her eating disorder. And so she's the first person that really um, provided that insight. And she has a quote that I always like to read. And it's, recovery can't be something you dip your toe into. For it to be fully felt and completely comprehended, you have to immerse yourself. And what I, the reason why I pulled that quote out in particular is because I do find the conversations a lot of times when I work with people is that they're like, well, I feel like I'm recovered enough. Like I'm safe. Um, I'm eating enough of certain things or I'm not doing behaviors that often. Um, but they're, they're not totally immersed in it yet. And there, and you know, for some people that feels like, okay, that's good enough for me. And I don't, I, I kind of feel mean sometimes when I'm like, mm, I want more for you. I want more than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this quote, I feel like it brings that to light because there's so much joy and connection that is not being experienced when an eating disorder still has some clout, you know, when it still has some pull um, and distraction from life. And um, so I, I want people to keep going and to keep and there may be times where they take a little break or, you know, they do some distraction. That is not something that I would discourage. I mean, I, everybody has to know their own limits, but, um, but I also want them to keep going because I don't feel like, um, recovery is this like finite, tangible thing either. You know, I, I feel like we're always moving forward in mm-hmm. some way. Um, it just may not feel like it. And so there's times where it doesn't feel like you're moving forward. I feel like that's where a lot of times people will say to me, okay, oh, I've recovered enough because they're at a stuck point. But I, what's next is probably kick ass. You know, I bet yeah. it's really good. Um, it's going to be something that's going to get them connect to more of their joy, connect them more to themselves. Um, it's, it's, it's like, just keep going a little bit more. And, um, another person that I credit to helping me understand about, you know, a person can really fully recover is Jenny Schaefer, which I feel like a lot of people know her books, you know, life without Ed and, and, um, other ones like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, she's someone that, um, would talk about this too. Like, um, and she would often use this metaphor when I would hear her speak talking about, you know, an eating disorder is, uh, is like a cliff on a mountain and recovery means like knowing where that cliff is and knowing to stay back from it <laughs> and to be aware when you could be getting close to it. And I feel like, um, knowing, how to stay in a safe place, meaning, you know, further back from that cliff of slipping or relapse is how people can become recovered. Because if you kind of always know the path to take to get to the eating disorder and you just are like, I'm not going there, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, then that to me is at a place where a person's recovered, you know? Um, 
The thing that complicates it, though, and makes it not like this black and white kind of thing is that we live in a world that hasn't recovered from its own eating disorder yet. So normal eating is disordered eating. And so, um, you know, it's it's really hard for for I think some people how they define recovered may complicate this kind of answer. But the way I define it is not necessarily an absence of desire to be smaller or an absence of wanting to do a behavior, it's um, consistently choosing to do what a person needs to do to, to feel safe and recovered. Um, and then also, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of another word for this, and I'm blanking out, of course, <laughs> but, um, but I the thing that complicates it is that we do live in this world that um, is not recovered. So it has this like, culture that we're immersed in that is going to be like the eating disorder. And so again, keeping track of where that cliff is and also knowing what's right for your body and doing those things, um, is what to me is what recovered can be. So I don't know. I hope that all makes sense, but yeah, I like that. Those are my thoughts on that. I really like the cliff thing. Yeah. I think it's super useful. Yeah. Um, I love metaphor. Yes, oh my gosh, I love metaphor. <laughs> so, um, I just got a chance to interview Anita Johnson on my podcast, and she's like the queen of metaphor um, in eating disorders. Um, I highly recommend anyone to check her work out. She's awesome. And, um, you know, just I feel like metaphors, especially, you know, living in this world that's so disordered, um, sometimes our mind and our body don't stay connected especially if we're manipulating our nutrition, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so metaphor is something that is this tool that doesn't require, um, like we can connect our mind and body, um, even in the chaotic times, you know? And so it's, it's a, such a useful thing. So anyway, yeah. 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 I really like that cliff thing. Just thinking about like how you can, you, you see it and you always know it's there, but then just being mindful of staying away from it and staying away from the things that can drive you back towards the edge. Yeah, and yeah. choose the behaviors yes. that get you away from the cliff. Yeah. I really <laughs> and like know that. where it is. Just, you know, it's kind of like in your periphery, you just know that's the way to go, mm-hmm. but you're just not going to go there. Yeah. Like when I got pregnant, I started seeing um, a therapist again who specialized in eating disorders because I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to navigate getting larger in a healthy and safe way. So I, I'm just going to go ahead and start seeing someone. And before that, I wasn't really like, I wasn't really partaking in anything. I just knew that once that happened, I was like, nope, I got to go see someone. <laughs> yeah, that was a way for you to keep the cliff further back. Yeah, <laughs> like, for sure. Okay, so having my body change, which as a woman, our bodies change. It's just a part of a being a woman. Right. And um, so, you know, you know, the cliff was right there. So mm-hmm. that was really a way to keep it from not getting closer. Yeah. <laughs> and now that I think about it, that instance was a big turning point in my whole trajectory of recovery in general. That's really interesting that you pointed that out. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. So, um, you are a mother of two, right? So a boy and a girl. Oh, that's so sweet. I only have, I have a seven year old stepdaughter and then I have a 18 month old little girl. So Mm. we have two kids (laughs) in this house. Craziness. Um, and how old is your, your daughter? She's the older one, right? Yep. I have a nine year old daughter and a four year old son. So Mm -hmm. how do you navigate motherhood while instilling fat positive values in a fat phobic world? So these are, this is really important to me and how I'm raising my children. Um, Yes, me too. That's why I want to hear what you have to say. 
Um, so I'm like, oh gosh, the words to describe it. I, I just have to honor how important it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's selfishly, I want to protect them, you know, and, and I also don't want to contribute to size oppression. So, I mean, I, I, I have to honor that. Like I want to protect my kids first and foremost. And I think this, this does this, but then I also don't want my, I don't want to raise my children to be oppressive to any person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether it's size or race or sexual orientation, you know, gender identity, any of those things I like, I don't want them to oppress. Um, and I think the size part of it is not something that I hear a lot of people talking about, but it's, is on the forefront of my brain. And it's probably because of the work I do, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm, I'm raising, I'm raising them to be fat positive. So when, um, they were noticing bodies, you know, both my children, you know, cause kids are observant and they have no social filter whatsoever, <laughs> yeah. um, which has its inconvenience at times, but, um, I didn't correct them. Like if they said someone looked old or, um, someone was fat, um, or they commented on a body, I didn't necessarily say they were doing something wrong. What I have made my standard repeated response to my children, whenever they, um, point out someone's body looking in any certain way, I just, I say, you know, no one, no one appreciates hearing how their body looks. Um, and I'll say that for anything. If they say they're skin, well, they have, I don't think I've heard them say anyone's skinny, but if someone's, um, fat or someone is, has a pretty shirt on or, um, they have long fingernails, I don't know, just anything. I'm like, you know, people just don't appreciate hearing how their body looks. Um, and I'm hoping that it has been a consistent, so it's a, I don't, I don't necessarily want them to feel like fat is bad. Mm-hmm. And I also don't want them to think that I don't want them to be brought up in a place where, um, in our family, we, I don't want them to value appearance as like, uh, the all end all be all. Mm-hmm. And that was really not hard to do until, my oldest was in kindergarten and learning how to read, um, you know, the, the, the sight words and <laughs> like some of the easier words to learn how to read, they rhyme with cat. Yes. <laughs> and so fat is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they often would have pictures of fat, um, bodies. And usually it was like an animal, but it would usually be fat body with some kind of, um, disparaging association, whether it was like, um, lots of food around them or they look disheveled. Yeah. Like subtle things that to me were like screaming, holy crap. That is like fat oppression right there. Uh, and I'm like, crap, what am I going to do about that? (laughs) Like darn it school. And, uh, but they need to learn how to read. And that's a Mm -hmm. really normal word and the, the learning to read process. And so, um, and then at the same time, my, my daughter would come home from school and say, Hey mom, so-and-so got in trouble for calling so-and-so fat. And, um, she's like, I was really confused. <laughs> why, why are they getting in trouble? And so I had to start to explain some things that I really wasn't feeling like I was, I didn't feel like she was emotionally developed enough to really help her to understand oppression, you know, but I don't feel like I had the, I didn't have the beauty of waiting. So I kind of on the spot had to think of some things and I've, I've, I've ironed it out a little bit. Plus I've talked to a lot of people that are, um, 
really experts in this type of area. And, um, you know, just to, to say, you know, you know, this is how some people think. And in our family, we don't agree with that. Some people will be put down because of how their body looks. And your father and I do not think that is okay. Um, and we also think that all bodies are good bodies. And that's what we want you to think too. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. like, can I just program you to think that? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and then, but she's like, so why, why did he get in trouble for saying that? And you know, then it's like a really hard thing to tease out. But the reason why is because it was used in a way that was putting him down. So, you know, having to say, you know, sometimes that word is used in a way as a put down and because people have this different meaning for it. And honestly, I mean, that was three or four years ago. And I feel like I'm still like building on that to try to tease apart. And, you know, kids, not until they're really like 13, can they do any abstract thinking? Yeah. That's, you know, in any way, shape or form is Mm -hmm. really like, they're able to like do that type of, uh, formal operational kind of cognition. And so, you know, my nine-year-old's just not quite there yet, but it's coming along. And, um, so the, I I just feel like it's something that we have to constantly be uh, working towards. And something that I have found myself craving is a way to protect them. Um, I don't know how their bodies are going to be shaped, and I also don't want the, them to contribute to size oppression. So I want, I wish I could just like put them in a cave somewhere, <laughs> but you know, we, we can't do that for our children. They have to like experience like the ups and downs of life and the, the beauty and also the stuff that is really, um, I don't want to say the word ugly. Cause I feel like that's talking about appearance, <laughs> but, all but, the you know, suffering, uh, the, the, you know, the, um, the things in the world that are just not okay. Yeah. And, um, and I, I just need to do the best I can to raise them to be kind humans. That's to me, is like the priority. I want them to be kind, just mm-hmm. not necessarily nice. I mean, just, just kind and, um, not contribute to oppression. And so we'll see how it goes. And, you know, now, um, my younger one, my younger child, it's, let's see what happens. I don't know what kind of things are going to come out since he's a, he's a he, but, um, so far, so good, I think. And especially since I have this older child to kind of help me lead the way to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, I think it also has helped me to get more in our community and try to be more vocal on policies that can contribute to fat oppression. Uh, I'm hoping that I'm putting a dent in that as well. I like that. And I like that you've just, um, kind of, summarized it to them as not to comment on people's appearances, just regardless. I've kind of tried to reiterate that to my uh, seven-year-old too. Just even, even if she were to say like, yeah, something like, oh, I I like their dress or you're so pretty or they're fat or they're thin or they're this, or she has brown skin or she's white or anything, any of that. I, I always just tell her, it's not kind to comment about someone's appearance. Like, just keep that to yourself. Just like you wouldn't like if someone commented on your body. It's none of it's none of your business what someone else looks like. Period. Yeah, I'm like no one appreciates. It. Yeah, because <laughs> then you. Know, I, I also think I, I wish adults knew it too because I, I always think about someone who's lost weight and they're either in the throes of their eating disorder or have like this horrible cancer you know, or something. And people were like, Hey, you look great. Yes. <laughs> you know? Um, and that's another one. I'm like, you know, just 
no one appreciates hearing that. That's just not helpful. And you know, it's, it's, I feel like it's, um, it happens to people of any gender identity, but I, I think it also is something that for females, it's what we're first noticed for and what we're supposed to be paying attention to. And I really don't want my son and daughter to really value that. Yeah. I want them to notice other things about people. And so I, I, I want to make sure that I communicate, like, I don't feel necessarily like an expert on this. I'm certainly not a child development expert, but I'm just a parent that's trying the best I can. <laughs> and, um, I feel like it's something that is just going to have to keep evolving and acknowledging that the world doesn't agree with this. And yet this is something that's really important to our family. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. And I, I also, in the same regard, I try not to comment on their bodies. Like as much as I want to tell them they're cute all the time, you know, cause yeah, they're, they're, cute, and adorable. they're yeah. cute kids. Like I don't want to think mm-hmm. that that is what's important and that's how they get validated. I don't want to just constantly mm-hmm. feed the, like they get enough of the the message that like beauty is important. So they don't need to yeah. hear that from me. <laughs> right. And you know, when I was getting my, um, master's degree in counseling, I remember learning like about art therapy and when kids would be doing, um, art therapy in sessions and, um, to make sure you didn't like just praise them like, Oh, that looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, because that may not be the intent. And so when they check in like, Oh, do you like my picture? Or do you think that's pretty? And so not necessarily say yes or no, um, but to rather just say, well, what do you think? You know, or is it the way you want it to be? <laughs> and, and just, and so that's what I've been basically like with the whole body talk. I'm like, well, what do you think? I don't know. Just, I'm not going to encourage the judgment, just more, you know, hey, what, what are your thoughts on that? The curiosity. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I came across a similar situation with the whole, like, calling someone fat um, in, in my classroom. I'm a kindergarten teacher at a school here in Houston, and there was a, um, a little girl, and she came up to me crying one day, and she said that someone called her fat, and she was really upset about it. And I was like, it, it felt so tricky for me to navigate because I didn't want to, like, tell the other little girl, don't call her fat, because I didn't want her, the child that was called that, to think that it was a bad thing to be, and I didn't want the other little girl to think that that was a bad thing to be. So mm-hmm. it's really, it's tricky. <laughs> so isn't tricky. It? Yeah. Because I mean, they're using, they're, they're using a tool to shame that, that child. And so I feel like, you know, if there was like a racial slur or something like that, um, we would definitely want to intervene in mm-hmm. it. And I would, I always encourage people to kind of use it in the same way. You know, you wouldn't, there's nothing wrong with people being different races and we can't use it as, um, a put down or some kind of disparaging way. So, um, and I, I don't know, I do look towards, um, racial identity and just like research on that end to help inform myself with size diversity and how to react to those types of issues. And I feel like we just have more conversations going in that regard. So, but yeah, it's not, it's not easy <laughs> for sure. Yeah. It's really, really tricky. And the little girl that was calling the other little girl fat, I knew that the the relationship between them two in the context of this situation, and I know she was really just describing her, like, in this game they were playing or whatever. Uh, and, yeah, it was a neutral. Yeah, right. And so she was just mm-hmm. she was just describing her, but the other little girl had already, like, internalized that as, like, a negative thing, that that, that word was a negative thing. And she was she's larger compared to some of her peers, and especially compared to that, the little girl that called her that. They're just different-sized human beings. Mm-hmm. And so she 
she just like took it really to heart. And so I tried to turn it about, you know, like don't comment on people's appearances and or about <laughs> people's bodies if they don't give you permission to because we kind of try Good. to teach them yeah. like the autonomy, like they don't want to give you a hug, they don't have to. So just kind of in that same regard, like you're not allowed to comment on someone's body if they don't give you permission. Um, and so I tried to turn it that way without like making it a, a negative thing around that word. But yeah, it was really difficult. <laughs> That is really challenging. Yeah. And I feel like kids, like the one who came crying to you, those are kids we really need to like, um, help inform them, um, to, or basically help them to find ways to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And we need to align with them. I feel like those are kids that are very high risk. I mean, I, I know eating disorders, so I feel like I know they're at high risk for many things, but they're at high risk for, for an eating disorder. Um, and so, um, whatever we can do to like align with them and help to advocate for them. I think that is really important. And I think she's lucky to have you as a teacher because oh. you are aware of that stuff. That is really incredible. You identify as a feminist, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So how do you teach, like, how do you navigate parenting and motherhood or like instill certain beliefs um, in your kids that align with feminist values? So a lot of what we've talked about so far, um, you know, size, diversity, I think it is a feminist issue. Mm -hmm. There's a whole book on that. Uh, Fat is a feminist issue. It's one of the first books I've read. Yes, yes. I highly recommend to all your listeners to read that. And um, so that first and foremost is like really important to me, as you guys know already. And you raising um, a a daughter first, it was really easy to – it was really easy to raise her to be a feminist. Like, it, you know, it's kind of like girl power. Yeah. You know? Just like passing <laughs> the torch. Yeah. It, it seemed to make sense. My son, it was different. And, um, you know, it was, it felt a little bit more challenging because it wasn't second nature. And, um, I feel like, raising our sons to be feminist is even more important. And there's been really horrible events that have the media has brought to light um, about our rape culture and lack of consent, you know, all those topics Mm -hmm. that really have informed my parenting. And my um, four-year-old is very, um, um, he's just very lovey-dovey. I guess he likes to like hug and and hold people's hands and give kisses. Aww. And he's, he's been like that for a couple of years now. And if I find myself already kind of like, um, you know, you need to make sure you ask people, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, they, if they want that. Um, I think it's, it's important to make sure we raise our kids to, um, to not only, you know, advocate for themselves, but then also to like, make sure that they know that like, it's not their right. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't just go and, um, uh, he can't just go and chase a girl and, and kiss on her and stuff like that. He needs to like ask permission, you know, that's, that's important for him. Mm-hmm. And even things like, um, uh, TV stuff, like, uh, he likes certain princess shows and I think that's great. I feel like he is, and he has a doll, you know, he has a couple dolls actually. And, um, you know, he's learning and it's normal for him to learn how to be nurturing, nurturing and to like do that type of dramatic play. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a part that's the feminism coming out for me too. Like I want him to learn how to take care and, um, 
how to connect with that experience of being compassionate and, um, and then also even just like having, um, identifying with emotions. I think with girls, we, um, naturally kind of, um, help them to know like, Oh, you're feeling sad. Are you feeling angry? And, um, with boys, it's really kind of normal to be like, Hey, you need to stop crying. Stop crying. Yeah. <laughs> um, you don't, you're not a baby. And, um, I'm trying really hard to not do that. And, um, instead to, to help him find words, I feel like for a lot of men that I've gotten to know over the years, they just, they're not as connected to like identifying feelings. And I feel like for eating disorders in general too, that's, uh, oftentimes a limitation is like, there's a feeling, but not being able to identify what that feeling is mm-hmm. and feeling like it's not, it can't, a person can't tolerate it for very long. And so, um, I'm, I'm, you know, teaching them that, you know, that what, well, what are you feeling? And, um, sometimes my, uh, my daughter is very verbal, so she can name a feeling and stuff like that. And my son is not as verbal. Um, he has a speech delay. So, um, he pretty much now is, um, able to say as many words as most kids his age, but most people just can't understand what he's saying. And, uh, so sometimes I'm really not sure what he's saying. And so instead, sometimes we'll be like, well, what color, what color is the feeling you're having? Oh, I like that. And yeah. And he'll be like, oh, it's blue or gray. And, and then I'll be like, well, where are you feeling it? And he'll, he'll say, you know, in my, in my, in my tummy or in my head or in my eyes. And, um, and sometimes he'll, say, you know, I'm afraid it's going to be like this forever. Like I'm always going to feel this way. And I think part of, um, feminism for me is teaching people how to, um, connect with all parts of themselves. And, um, you know, so him being, him knowing that these are his feelings and they change and this is normal, like he's normal, (laughs) you know, this, this is what human is. Um, I think especially for boys, for them to be, brought up in that kind of way of connecting to their own, own feminist side to their, um, own, like, I don't know, just like they're, we all have masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. So them connecting to their feminine side helps then for the, for them to be future great partners, you know, to, um, whatever partner, whoever partner they choose, you know, that they would be, um, uh, you know, a, a partner that would be, um, healthy, I guess, in a sense, you know, because they would not be, um, encouraging them to just like, Oh, you don't feel that way. I, you know, I want them to be able to verbalize and connect with all that parts of themselves. So I, I feel like it gets past feminism in a way, but to me, it's still as part of that. Yeah. I think uh, that's such a good point because especially boys, like they're raised in such as like hyper masculine society. So being able to slow down and like really be validated for their emotions. Like, I think that that's really mm-hmm. important. And you know, mm-hmm. asking them to participate and creating a more inclusive world in the future, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, um, you know, I, that's, I feel like body image comes in there too. And, um, you know, teaching you know, your son and daughters to, um, respect and expect diversity in sizes, I think is really important because, um, as a, as a, a young woman, I, you know, I picture my daughter, I, I want her to, um, not put a lot of value into how her body shaped and not feel like she has to conform. And I also for my son, I want them for that for himself too. And I also don't want him to expect that women should have to conform. Like they should just be something pretty to look at. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
yeah, I feel like body image is another big part of it um, for us. Yeah, I love all of that. I don't have a I don't have a boy yet, but as soon as mm-hmm. I do, I'm <laughs> hyper vigilant. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, a really great book that I read a long time ago. It's probably outdated now, but I it it's got some pearls still in it. Is Real Boys, and uh, it was probably written in the early to mid '90s, but. It, it talked a lot about when boys go to kindergarten is usually the last time they're that's when they're told they can no longer cry. Um, they're told they have to like man up, you know, it's, it's time to start manning up. And, um, I mean, I still have two more years before he goes to kindergarten, but I'm not going to be saying that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's so sad. That's still so little. It is. Oh, yeah. that's so young. Like you can't imagine telling your daughter, like, get over it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. Five year old. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm mindful of the time, but I just want like really quick wanted to talk about your podcast, the love food podcast. Um, and to explain a little bit, you could go into a little bit about it. I love your show and I think it's so, such a cool idea and it's so authentic and different than anything out there in, the, in your little niche. So totally. Recommend it. <laughs> yeah. I, I love doing, um, this podcast, I've definitely addicted to it. And um, it's connected to me to like so many wonderful people that I'm really grateful for that. And for your listeners who haven't heard it, um, it's called Love Food. And, you know, as being trained as a counselor, um, I really got into narrative therapy, which is uh, this kind of modality with therapy where a person can personalize um uh, an event or a thing and, um, talk to it directly. And so, um, it kind of externalizes a problem. So then a person can clarify what they want to do with it. And when I was looking at, I really wanted to do a podcast for a long time. I mean, it's probably been over, it's been almost 10 years since I wanted to do one, but the whole motherhood thing really zapped my energy. Yeah. And so so when my youngest was two, I was like, all right, I'm coming back. I can see the light (laughs) and I could feel my creativity coming back. And, um, there, first of all, there are not very many, uh, especially at the time, there weren't very many dietitian podcasts that were weight inclusive or weight neutral or fat positive. Um, and I, so I didn't have very many to even compared to. And so I, um, and I, I'm not, I don't think I'm very good at interviewing. It's just not something I enjoy, nor am I very, it's not my strength. (laughs) And so I didn't really want to do that. So I'm like, what am I going to do? And I was like, well, I need to make a show that connects to the listener. And I was like, well, wait, why don't I have the listeners write to food? And, and, um, so basically anybody who has a complicated relationship with food, I want them to write to food about it to hopefully rewrite their fate. And, um, the, the podcast, it really, it, it strives to use, um, the healing type types of modalities that I use in sessions with clients. So it's lots of permission. Um, and again, of course, weight, um, inclusive types of practices. So intuitive eating, mindful eating, and, um, and it also, it really wants, um, it's supposed to be really heavy in compassion. Like I want people to feel like 
they can enhance their journey towards food peace and not feel judged about it. Because something that's a theme, I don't know if you experienced this, Erica, but a theme that so many people I've worked with is they feel so much shame and they feel so isolated Mm -hmm. in their food um, peace journey. And they feel like they're the only ones that's struggling. And, you know, people like me who are sitting in my chair, you know, we're like, God, no, there's like a bazillion people out there. We're (laughs) never going to go out of business. (laughs) Like there's so many people who experience a complicated relationship with food. And, and honestly, I wasn't sure if I'd get many letters, but, oh, I got letters. I'm like, I will always have enough letters. It's, it's amazing. I always want more. So you can always send more, but, um, you know, there's so many, um, different types of experiences people are writing about, but the common theme is this shame and isolation. And, um, so I always, I read the letter on the podcast and then me and sometimes a guest, um, help find some solutions. And at the end food writes back and it's kind of, and that's part of narrative therapy is when a person writes a letter to that externalized type of process. Um, they also write what the person would say back in a therapeutic way. And so it's, it's my way of doing that. You know, I kind of, I'm kind of taking over that spot, but I'm, the intention is to provide a therapeutic kind of, um, response to their letter to food. And, um, it's really, it's been, like I said, it's been really neat how it's connected, um, me to lots of people who are experiencing this. And, um, the, the feedback I'm getting is really nice. Cause it's like, people are like, yeah, I, I, I'm not binging as much, or I, I feel more at home in my skin. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I want. Um, and it, so something that I get a complaint a lot in my office, people are like, I wish I could have you with me all the time. So, cause I'm, they're like, cause, cause the stuff that like the culture brings us is so toxic yeah. and I can't change the culture. We're trying, but we're just not making a dent yet. And I don't think necessarily they were talking about me personally, but just like that message. They're like, I want to hear those words more often. And so, you know, you, a lot of people like the gold standard of outpatient treatment for eating disorder recovery is like an hour with a dietitian every week and an hour with a therapist. And I'm like, so two hours out of how many in a week. So this podcast is meant to be like, fill in that stuff in between, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, give you some access to that same information when you're not at your provider. And for some people, it kind of helps them stay away from that cliff we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. you know, um, just kind of helps enhance that because the world is so toxic. It's like kind of a respite from that toxic culture. Yeah. I feel like it's such a safe space, you know, like just to be able to go and to listen to so many other similar experiences and even be able to, uh, relate to a lot of them. Even if you weren't the re- like letter writer in that episode, just being able to hear like, Oh yeah, I've experienced that. Or I totally understand yes. how they're feeling. And I, I love that you brought up the compassion thing because I love that like almost after every single letter, you just really drive home, like how compassionate you feel for them and how you just want to give them a big hug. And I feel like that's such a good reminder to like have with yourself. Like when you start beating yourself up for feeling a certain way to slow down and like, no, I should be a little bit more understanding as if I'm, mm-hmm. you know, hearing this from a friend, like, how would I react? You know? Well, and you know, any, any therapist, like our job, I feel like is to help people in a session to hear how we want them to think themselves. Like, <laughs> so I, I, I know that sounds kind of weird, but I want my clients to be more compassionate to themselves. Like I want their self-talk to eventually sound how like I'm talking to them. Mm-hmm. And so that's the intention with it is like, I, I get that people aren't hearing it in their day-to-day life. So we need to, to verbalize it for 
folks who are not getting that compassion. And I feel like an eating disorder is the opposite of compassion. It's, it, um, it robs people of like connection and joy and it, it brings so much shame. And so in order for someone to heal, I feel like they need to have that openness to like, um, just being curious about what's going on, because I feel like that's how people end up healing their journey or healing their, their, their relationship with food is like, I'm curious about why this is happening right now. And instead of being like beating themselves up or something like that. So, um, yeah, the compassion is like this necessary requirement. We've all kind of noticed that people need more. So I definitely, it's like number one thing that I want to do on each episode is to provide some compassion. I love it. I love your show so much. I encourage everyone to go listen to it. It's like, I'm subscribed to it. It automatically downloads every week. So (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. I love <laughs> I do. it. And I love like, um, those of us who have weight inclusive podcasts, I love that. Um, when I see us higher in the rankings, mm-hmm. then like, I'm not going to name the other ones, but there's so many like diety ones that are popular. And so when I see me and some other people who have podcasts that are weight inclusive, like going higher than them, like, yes, because it was like, we're, it's coming along, like, yeah. we're making a dent, hopefully in yeah. some of this toxic world. Mm-hmm. It's really reassuring. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So before we go, um, where can all of my listeners find you? So it's uh, really easy. You know, juliedillonrd.com is my website. And if they like some of the information I'm giving, um, I have a newsletter that you can just sign up for right there. And then also, of course, the Love Food Podcast. Um, you can listen to it on any device that or any app that you prefer. <laughs> It'll be on there. And um, I welcome any feedback. I welcome any of their If they want to write a letter to food, I would love to hear what they have to say. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all of your time today, Julie. I love talking to you. Oh, thanks, Erica. (laughs) It was great to connect. All right. Thanks. Bye. So that's it for today, guys. I hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks again to our guest and thank you for listening. We'll have a new episode next week. Until then, keep being you just the way you are.